0: So good to see all of you this morning. This morning we are going to be looking at Matthew chapter 6, verse 1 through 6, and then we're going to skip the section on the Lord's Prayer, which you're going to learn all about that next week, and then we're going to cover verse 16 through 18. And there's a theme in this whole passage, and the theme really is that motives matter. It's not just what we do in life, but it's also it's why we do it that is significant. And I was thinking about last week, I opened up by just talking about how, as a a high school student struggling with my faith and just deciding, am I going to really commit myself to following the Lord? And I was just having this incredible battle. And I was looking around, and I just saw the compromise in the adults at church. And I just remember thinking, man, if if these adults can't even do it, how am I going to be able to do it? And so Michelle, last week, she's like, I thought you would come around at the end of that and do something with that. You just kind of left it out there. And I want to just say that, you know, as a teenager, um, that doesn't, it doesn't mean that I necessarily saw things correctly. But I think it's important for us to know that the way that we live can be an encouragement and an inspiration to people. And I think that that actually creates this dilemma. As you think about your reputation, as you think about your example, um, this can be a real battle as believers because we don't actually live for the approval of men. We don't live to try to make other people like us or think highly of us. We live for an audience of one person. Uh, We live to please the Lord. He He is what matters. What God thinks is what matters. And Jesus is gonna talk about motives and he's gonna say it's so challenging because we struggle so much as people that our focus gets off of God and we start to think about what other people think. And so we're gonna be learning how how important that is. You know, I just think, um, you know, John, uh, John chapter one, verse 14, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. When you think about this, Um, A person that lives their life with no concern for other people in the sense of worrying about what other people think or trying to please other people or trying to get things from other people, but a person who just lives a faithful life and says, God, I want to know what you say. I wholeheartedly want to obey that. My purpose in life is to please you. You know, people that live... um, People that live that way, they have God's protection. They have God's care. I mean, God loves his kids who love him. Um, I think about the Old Testament passage that just says, the eyes of the the Lord seek to and fro that he may strongly support those whose hearts are completely his. Think about how powerful it is when we don't care or worry about other people. We just say, I want to please God. And that's what Jesus is going to challenge us with today. It's what he's going to talk about. And I want to just remind us that that our motives, it's not just what we do, but it is why we do it. Look at 1 Samuel 16, 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, so this is when Samuel's going out to anoint the new king. And all of David's brothers are being paraded before him. And and every time Samuel sees one of them, he goes, oh, man, this guy's great. He's really awesome. He's really strong. I'm sure this is the one. And every time God said, no, no, no. And eventually they go find the brother that they didn't even bother to bring to the meeting. He's like, okay, we got this important meeting. You go take care of the sheep. The rest of us are going. And um, this is what God says. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't look on his appearance or the height of his stature because I've rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Like, Think about that. Um, God cares about what's in your heart, and God knows what is in your heart. Uh, The Bible also tells us that we're going to all stand before God, and everything that we've ever done in life is going to be measured. Like, Think about that. This is what this passage says, uh, 1 Corinthians 3.11. It says, "...for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ." Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. Now think about this, you could have two people that show up and they do something that seems similar And one of those people, when they show up before God, he's going to say, well done, good job. And the other person, maybe somebody that we are impressed by, maybe somebody that we're amazed by, oh my goodness, that person's so amazing, and they're going to stand before God, and there's going to be nothing there because their works are going to be tested. And we don't see, but God sees and measures motives. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward and if anyone's work is burned up he will suffer loss though he himself will be saved but only as through fire what i love about this passage is it's not saying that unless you do the right things for the right reasons you're not going to heaven we are not earning and we're not trying to earn our place in heaven we're not trying to earn our salvation but god is going to measure what you do and you will be rewarded based on your motives behind what you do, not just what you do. I was thinking about this. Um, If I could go back and give myself advice as a newly married person and as a a new parent, you know, wisdom's pretty important that we read what God says, that we make the right decisions, that we do the right things. But if I could go back and give myself advice, the single most important thing is don't necessarily try so hard to get everything right. Don't hear me saying that's not important. But the thing that you really ought to focus on is do you live your life in a way that your number one goal is to please God? And the thing is that there's actually nothing more important than you can teach your kids. You can get your kids to come to church. You can make them read the Bible. You can make them go to Sunday school. You can try to force these good works into their life. But you know, all of that is useless. The only thing that matters is, are you teaching and training your kids to grow up with God in mind and saying, God, I want to please you. I want to do what's right. I want to honor you in my life. Like that's actually what matters for our kids. And that's actually the, the single thing that we're working on in church. We're not trying to get people together and try to make them do the right things. We're trying to encourage people to genuinely love God and want to please Him. Now, I'll never forget, like, a big lesson of this for me was as a youth pastor, and I think I've mentioned this before, but we had this kid that came to youth group, and she was an unbeliever, came from a rough home, and she came to youth group, and man, she just was like the star youth group kid. Um, She did her devotions. Uh, she showed up to every event, she prayed for her friends, she brought all of her friends. Um, in our church, like, we kept graduating people out of youth group, like, they would go from junior high into high school, we'd graduate 25 kids out, we'd get three in, and then youth group would kind of grow, and we'd graduate kids out, and then we'd get a couple, a couple in from Sunday school. And um, in our youth group, I just remember one year, like, we graduated everybody out, and we ended up with, like, three kids in junior high, it was just like... Last week there was 30 kids here, and this week there's three. And, and by the end of that year, there were 50 kids in youth group. And I thought about it, every single kid that was there, this girl probably brought 100 kids to youth group, and about 50 of them stayed. And she was just so faithful, and I just thought, man, this is just so amazing, and this weird thing happens. So she goes into high school, she becomes a junior in high school, she ends up, she quits coming to youth group. And this kid that was so faithful and that always did the right things moved in with her boyfriend. Now she's living with her boyfriend. I don't think she's gone to church since. Like I saw her years later. Um, and here's the thing, I, I took a step back and I, did, I thought to myself, how did I miss this? This whole time I, I'm feeling like our ministry is effective. I'm feeling like, oh my goodness, she's really growing spiritually. Obviously, she's actually not even a Christian. So what was going on with all of that? And here's the thing that occurred to me. Um, all of our youth leaders, um, we came alongside her. We loved her. We cared about her. We encouraged her. And you want to know who she wanted? To, she appreciated that love and that care. And you want to know who she wanted to please? Us. And the moment that pleasing some guy she met was more important than pleasing us, she started pleasing him. And so I took a step back and I thought, okay, so how do you do ministry? How can you tell when a person's doing the right thing for the wrong reason? And how can you tell when a person's doing the right right thing for the right reason? Beyond that, how do you encourage and cultivate a person to know the Lord and to do the right things for the right reason instead of people doing the right things for the wrong reasons? Because those things actually are always temporary, and they're of no value. Well, Jesus is gonna start, and I just wanna say the very first step to trying to help other people deal with their motives is to get a good handle on your own motives. Because if you can't see yourself, evaluate yourself correctly, and work on your heart in pleasing the Lord, you'll never be able to help somebody else do it. But if you know how you struggle, like if you can ask yourself, okay, today, I went to church and I did this thing. Did I do that to please the Lord or did I do it for myself? See, if you can, if you can distinguish those things in your own life, then you will be able to help the people around you distinguish those things for themselves. And, and this is just a little hint. But one, one question is, what do you do when nobody's watching? Um, that's actually a pretty significant thing when nobody's around and nobody's watching and nobody knows what do you do because that actually communicates something because who's always watching I mean God's always there right okay I'm getting ahead of my sermon okay so motives matter and we're gonna see a couple things now we're going through the Sermon on the Mount And one of the reasons we're doing this is because we actually wanna see the real life of Jesus. We wanna understand the things that Jesus himself taught so that we can live that out. And I love the Bible because it is a perfect representation of Jesus and how he lived and how he taught. And even though I wasn't there then, I can read about it. So let's jump into this. Let me uh, read this passage here. Our first point that we're gonna see Is that we need to guard against the temptation to practice false righteousness. Matthew chapter 6, verse 1 says this: it says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who's in heaven. Now, this one verse actually takes the whole it's Jesus is going to then give three examples of how this works out. But that's the theme. And one of the things that he says here is beware. And the reason that he says that and actually part of this command, it's a command that says you need to constantly beware. You need to be vigilant. You need to consciously avoid practicing your righteousness before men. This is a huge temptation for everybody. Um, to, to start to lose sight of God and to start thinking about the people around us. See, the thing is, we need to love people without needing anything from them. But we need to live our life to please God. And that's what Jesus is emphasizing here. You know, it's, it's assumed that we're going to do righteous things. Believers do righteousness. And, and actually, this key thing, if you've ever thought about, hey, wait a second. Aren't there a lot of good people that don't know Jesus? Aren't there a lot of non-Christians that just do amazing things? Well, what does God think about that? And here's actually the key to understanding all of those things in life. Anything you do that is for your own glory and not for God's glory is worthless. So we just go, okay, there's a non-Christian, and look at this great thing that they did. Don't they get credit before God for that? Well, it's a simple question, did you do that for God's glory? Does any non-Christian ever do anything for God's glory? Because actually, there is no good work that is done if it's done not for God's glory. So that's actually, when we understand this, it actually helps us take a step back and think about the world. Now, this is a temptation that we all face. You know the Apostle Peter struggled with this. Um, It talks about in Galatians chapter 2 how he got caught up in hypocrisy. That's a word you're going to see coming up. And these people traveled around, and Peter said, oh, man, uh, they're Jews, and they don't like Gentiles, so I'm not going to eat with the Gentiles anymore. I'm just going to hang out with them. I'm going to kind of separate myself from the Gentiles in the church. And actually, Peter got caught up in hypocrisy because his eyes went from Jesus to people. And these important, influential people, he felt like he needed something from them. He needed their approval. And so he fit into what they wanted. In fact, it says that his, he was so hypocritical that even Barnabas, this son of encouragement, got caught up into that. And that's just a reminder. If it can happen to Peter, it can happen to you and me, right? So we need to guard. We need to be careful. And Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? You know, that's a thing that we need to recognize is that a lot of times we do things for the wrong reasons but convince ourselves that we're doing it for the right reasons. So we need to learn how to measure those things. Now, I, I want to just say this. It says here, Um, It says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward. Now, this is interesting, and, and we need to think about this. Legalism never resolves anything. When we start making rules so that we don't have to think about life, Or when we make rules and we say, okay, here's one verse. I'm just going to always do this thing, but I'm going to ignore everything else that the Bible says. That always gets us off track. God's put us in a place where every day, in every circumstance, in every situation, we got to say, pray and say, God, help me. How how do you want me to respond? What's the right thing to do in this situation? Because in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, to be seen by by them, almost the exact same phrase is used. Matthew 5.16 says, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. So Jesus here says, don't let anybody see your good works. But just a few verses before, Jesus says, let your light shine so that other people will see your good works. And then here's the key, and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. See, we could just make this rule and say nobody ever say anything. Don't share anything. Uh, if, If people get together and say, oh man, I was really praying that the Lord would accomplish this thing and he gave me this opportunity and I shared the gospel with my friend and they became a believer and we could just get in this, oh no, don't talk about that. But as you look at the New Testament, there was a lot of sharing and a lot of celebration that was happening. And so it's not that we can't do that, but we need to be really careful about what we're doing and how we're doing it and why we're doing it. So, how do you know if you have a problem with this area in your life? How do you know? And uh, I think that you got to learn to be self-aware, but I'll just say here's one example. Have you ever been somewhere and been forgotten? Like maybe they thanked everybody, but they didn't thank you. Three people worked really hard in church. And one person was thanked, and somebody else was completely forgotten. Um, so here's the question if it's you that was completely forgotten, did that bother you? Because if it bothered you, there's a problem in your heart, problem with your motives. Because we actually do things to please God, and it's a gift if you're forgotten. That's actually a, a tremendous gift. Anytime you serve, anytime you're, you function and nobody notices you, that's awesome. Because guess who always notices? God. And if your desire is to please him, then not only will you not be offended, you will be thankful. And so anytime you sense in yourself, hey, I wasn't thanked, I wasn't appreciated, this person said thank you to them, they got all the credit, look at all the work I did and they got the credit for it, anytime that happens in your life, your motives aren't what they should be. That's not the only way to, to test, but that's one. Instead, our attitude ought to be this, this is what John the Baptist said, so, Um, John the Baptist's disciples come to him, and they say, hey, everybody's following Jesus. Look at our crowds. (laughs) They're disappearing, and they're going after him. And this is what Jesus says, or this is what John the Baptist says. He must increase, but I must decrease. What an incredible gift if you do things, if you minister, and you're missed, because God gets the credit. And so we need to be very careful about that. Now, when we do that, it says this. It says, when you do things to be noticed by others, then you will have no reward from your Father who's in heaven. We should seek reward. We should desire reward. But it's not the thing we want. It's that that is an expression of God's pleasure. It is amazing how often reward is talked about. Jesus constantly says, if you do this, you'll be blessed. If you do this, God will reward you. And it is not a wrong, sinful thing to be motivated by a heavenly reward. I've heard people say, oh, man, if you're only given because of how you'll be rewarded in heaven, that's bad. No. We want to please God. And part of his pleasure with us, part of his love for us, is that he rewards us. And so it's not the reward that we want. It's God's pleasure, which is expressed by his reward. Jesus says this in uh, Matthew 15:8. This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far away. In vain do they worship me. You know, there are so many people doing all kinds of religious things for the wrong reasons, and God just says that is empty, that is a waste. Okay, so that's what we, we need to make sure that we guard against the tempt, temptation to practice false righteousness. Here's the second thing. We need to be committed to doing the right things for the right reason which is the pleasure of god and for the glory of god sometimes it's so important that we don't get credit because if we don't get credit god's credit is magnified look what it says we're going to look at giving now so we're going to look at three examples and these examples are going to be giving prayer and fasting And we'll kind of see some unique things in all three of those. But I just want to say, these are not the only three things that Jesus is talking about. These are just things that are representatives of all good works. And so he's going to talk about giving, prayer, and fasting. And just an observation. He says, when you give, when you pray, when you fast, there is an assumption that every true Christian will do these things. Because we do good works. We do give. We do pray. We do fast. And so there's just that assumption that that we're going to do it. And then he says, when you do it. The other thing is, there are phrases in all three of these. They start in that first verse, but they are repeated. To be seen by men. You will have no reward. Do these things in secret. Those themes are repeated in all three sections. So let's look at it. Thus, when you give to the needy. Sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you." Now we're gonna hit a section on giving in a couple weeks. So I'm not gonna emphasize that too much. We'll get to that later. But the bottom line is that we give to the needy. And our giving is selective. We need to make the best use of our money. But when we give, we give because we share God's heart for people. And when we give, we see the needy. It's like we don't just close our heart, Uh, we care. In fact, the Bible says this in Proverbs, it says, "'Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deeds. So you don't need other people to see it, because God sees everything. So when we see people in need, our heart opens to them, we care about them, and we give to them, because God cares about people. And so our giving is a reflection that we care about the people that God cares about. So we give, it's right for us to give. Now, the whole sounding of trumpets people have said, okay, what exactly does that mean? And some people say that the offering lids, they had these like kind of trumpet shaped things and when you drop money in it, you could hear it and it kind of got smaller as it went down so that you couldn't reach your hand in and take money out. And so there's, there's like this kind of this debate about what that was, but let me just say this. They were aggressively making sure that people saw what they did. I just gotta tell you, like I've seen that when I've been in church and people are sending the offering plate and uh, there's people who are new <laughs> and go to church and then the offering plate comes and they'll pull out their wallet and they'll hold their money up in the air like this and then they'll put it in the plate. I've, I've actually seen that happen. Now, none of us would do that because we've been around long enough to know that you shouldn't do that. But every once in a while you'll see a visitor to church they had never been there before and they do that. But these Pharisees were aggressively making sure that they got attention. They didn't give. Um, It says before, look at this, what it says here. Um, Before, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do. See, they weren't interested in giving unless there was somebody there to see them give. So they would kind of wait until, okay, got a good crowd. All right, let me do it. Um, They did this in the synagogues and in the streets. They found a crowd where they could practice their righteousness. And they did this, that they may be praised by others. See, the whole issue of being seen by others, this whole passage is explained by this, to be praised. They wanted praise. They wanted glory. Who who are we supposed to do things for? We're supposed to glorify God. These people are saying, I want the glory. It says, they've received their reward, but when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. I mean, that's like a crazy statement, right? That's obviously hyperbole, because your brain knows what you're doing, and your brain tells your right hand and your left hand. But this is Jesus saying, be really careful that nobody sees what you're doing. See, I know people that when they give, man, it just bothers them if people don't know that they're the one who did it. Here's the cool thing is that when we give in secret, maybe a person's in need and they're praying and they're saying, God, I have this need. Can you meet this need? And I I need help. And when all of a sudden that need gets met and they don't know who did it, where does their mind go? To God. God, thank you for providing. And so a lot of times giving in secret gives God glory. And so we need to be careful to do that. Now, at the same time, Can't be legalistic about that. Um, Sometimes you can't give effectively if you don't go to somebody and say, Hey, what do you need? And obviously, whoever you're asking is going to know. There's times that we give, but whenever we give, we give in God's name. There's there's times I bumped into people and, and they're, you know, they're saying, Oh man, I'm in trouble. I need some help. And I'll just say, You know what? God sent me here. He sent me here to help you and I'll meet whatever that need is. And so that when I leave, God gets the credit. And a lot of times it's an opportunity to share the gospel and say, God sent me here and I'm helping you with this need. But, you know, there's actually a more important need that you have in your life. So I'm going to meet this need. But I also want to tell you about what it means to have a relationship with Jesus, because that matters more than whether you have gas. And so when we give, we, we give in secret. There could be a time, you know, t- nowadays, if a company gives money to a Christian organization, sometimes they get boycotted And so this is like a rule of thumb. If you're tempted to hide it, maybe you should share it. And if you're tempted to share it, you should probably hide it. So we need to think about that. We don't want to get legalistic about that. So they're doing this to be praised. Uh, Let's look at the second thing that we see here. Look at verse... Let's talk about prayer. Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, it says, And when you pray... You must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and in the street corners that they may be seen by others. You know, there's nothing that made the Pharisees and the religious hypocrites happier than to have other people see them and think well of them. They love that. That's what they live for. Oh, man, I put on this show and everybody thought I was amazing. I mean, that's what they loved. They didn't love pleasing God. They loved being glorified. It's what's in their heart. That's what they wanted. They loved the credit. Pride was what drove them. Think about this. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Number one on the list, haughty eyes. Uh, pride, having, wanting other people to think you're great. James 4, 6, he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You know, God's not going to sh- share his glory with other people. And so when, when we do things to get glory, not only are we not rewarded, but that actually brings God's discipline into our life. This whole issue of praying, you know, on the, on the issue of not being legalistic, uh, one of the things that I notice When I think about the Old Testament and prayer, when Daniel was in Babylon, um, people hated him. And he lived such a faithful, righteous life. Why? Because God was always watching, and his desire was to please the Lord. And so it says this. um, These men, they want to trip up Daniel, and they just realized if we examine the books, (laughs) if we check him out and follow him around and get a private investigator and tell them to follow him and watch everything he ever does, the guy's never going to do anything wrong. So if we want to mess him up, there's only one way to do it. we got to make something about Christianity illegal. Uh, Something about, and we didn't call it Christianity in the Old Testament, but something about a true belief in God. we got to make that illegal. And if we can do that, we can catch Daniel. So it says, These men said, We shall not find any ground for complaint against Daniel unless we find it in connection with the laws of his God, so they make a law against praying. And then look what it says next. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went into his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem, and he got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God. As he had done previously and we know the whole story he ends up getting thrown into the lion's den but you want to know something Daniel just said no I love God and I please God and I don't care if you make a rule against praying I'm gonna pray and I'm not gonna hide it either because I'm not ashamed of God so when you go to work and you pray when you're praying for somebody or you pray for your food or you have those habits the thing that you need to ask yourself is am I doing this to bring glory to myself or am I doing this, uh, am I just honoring God in my life? Because we do set an example, people do watch us, but if you show up and when you're praying, God's not on your mind, you're thinking about the people around you. I remember every time I was in a prayer circle, it used to be so hard when I was a new believer because we'd be going around, I know it was coming to me, I'm gonna be next. And I used to think, okay, oh, what am I going to pray about? I'm going to I'm going to pray this, and I would think through, oh, okay, that sounds stupid. Don't say that. And then I would just come up with like a different thing to say. Has that ever happened to you? <laughs> like that happens to me every time. It's going around in a circle. But I'm supposed to be thinking about God, not pleasing the people around me. I'm not supposed to talk to God and think, what are other people going to think? <laughs> Have you ever seen people talk to other people in a prayer? Oh Lord. Help us not to talk really loud during, you know, it's like sometimes people talk to other people in their prayers. We should have God as our audience. Fasting. Um, We fast because we care about what God cares about. Now, fasting is interesting. I'm going to just explain a little bit about fasting. The first thing fasting is just a word and it means to not eat. And so what is fasting? Fasting is just not eating. It's not eating, but for a purpose. It's not eating. And this is an interesting thing about fasting. Do you know it's never commanded? Jesus says here that you will fast, but there's nowhere in the Bible that it tells us that we're supposed to fast. And, um, in the Old Testament required, fasting was required on one day. It was the day of atonement. So the day that they sacrificed for the sins of the nation, that was a really serious day where God, excuse me, was forgiving them, forgiving the nation. And so they, they fasted on that day about forgiveness. So that's the only time in the Old Testament since Jesus died, we don't continue that. Um, there were some 40 day fasts. So um, Moses, Elijah, and Jesus all fasted for 40 days. Um, I actually read an article this week about this person that was obese and they fasted for a year. So there was a person who just drank water and ate and didn't eat for a year. Now, that's amazing. That must have been a very large individual. So, But fasting is actually not about diet. It's not about physical health. This fasting is actually fasting about prayer. And, and it's, it's, fasting is always connected. Um, for 14 days, it's connected with stress and anxiety and pressure. Uh, do you remember when there was this huge um, storm and, and the Apostle Paul thought his ship was going to sink or God told him he was going to live, but he was worried? It talks about these sailors that for 14 days, they're just trying to row and they're trying to survive and they didn't eat for 14 days. That's what fasting is. Um, when, when Saul and Jonathan died, people didn't eat for seven days. They were, so ho- they were grieving over the death of, of Saul and Jonathan. Um, people, so grief is a time that you see regularly that people will, will fast. And you know, in some ways you think about, well, how do I know when I should fast? It, it just happens naturally. You don't feel like eating. You are so concerned that you have no thought for food. And so, th- so it's this overwhelming thing, sometimes because of a serious need. You remember David, when um, Nathan comes to him and he says, hey, God's forgiven you for your sin with, David and- with Bathsheba and-, and killing Uriah, but because of what you've done, your son's gonna die. And you remember all the people are there and David is laying on the floor. He's not eating, he's just praying And and his men are so concerned, and then finally the baby dies. And and they start whispering to each other, and they're afraid that David's going to find out the baby died. He's going to kill himself. And when David realizes that they're talking and that the baby's died, he gets up, he takes a shower, he cleans himself up. And they say to him, okay, I don't get it. The baby's alive, and you're not eating, and you're praying, and you're laying on the floor. The baby dies, and now you're fine. And he says, you know what, I was praying, God's merciful, I was begging God to change his mind, but he didn't change his mind, and I'm encouraged that someday I'll see my baby again. So it was this intense, overwhelming grief. Pray for forgiveness. Um, Jezebel ends up killing somebody, and Ahab, her husband, Elijah, comes to him and says, You are a wicked man. This thing that you've done is terrible, and God is going to judge you. And he just lists off all this judgment that's coming. And Ahab, this incredibly wicked man, fasts, and he prays because he's afraid. Oh, God, forgive me. What I've done is terrible. And it says God saw him humble himself, and he forgave him. Incredible that God forgave Ahab. Nineveh, remember Nineveh? Um, Jonah walks through and says, in 40 days, God's going to kill you all. And the king says, everybody needs to repent. Everybody needs to pray. Maybe God will forgive us. And so they fast, they pray, and God forgives them really serious ministry times when they're dedicating uh, Saul and Barnabas, when they're dedicating the elders of the church in in Ephesus, they fast and they pray about this serious ministry thing that's happening. Um, For married couples, married couples are always supposed to be sexually active. But Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, 5, when you are dedicating yourself to a really serious time of prayer, that's a time that it would be okay for a married couple not to be sexually active but don't let that fast go on too long so that you're not tempted so this whole idea of fasting is something that is it's a very serious heartfelt grief some serious situation that's what fasting is and um what Jesus says here then is he says, when you fast, don't look groomy like, gloomy like the hypocrites for they disfigure their faces and their fasting, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face that your fasting may not be seen by others, but your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. So this prayer, when we fast, we're we're, we're praying over something very serious. But we don't put on a show so other people will pity us. Oh, I just, I can't eat. I can't take a shower. I can't do anything. I'm so grieved by the sin I see. I love God and I just, I want to honor him. And I look at all these people, they just, they don't care about God. There's no desire to please the Lord. And it just breaks my heart. You know, putting on some kind of a show. No, God says, clean yourself up, wash your face, take a shower, make sure nobody sees what's going on so that you don't get credit from other people, so that you don't get people's pity, so that it's not a way for you to pretend that you're spiritual. Love God, honor God, and do righteousness in secret. So why don't we fast? And I'll just close with this, but we don't fast because we don't pray with the intensity that we should be praying with. We just kind of pray some casual prayer and we don't seriously pray with intensity. Why don't we do that? Well, it's because we don't have the intense spiritual concerns that we should have. I was thinking about, uh, we got a prayer request some time ago about a person who was going to a Christian church, they said they were a believer and they were planning to have an abortion. You know, that would have been an appropriate time for everybody in our church or everybody who heard to say, I am not going to eat. I am going to pray for the life of that baby. I'm going to pray for the well-being of that mom, that, that this mom will not take her child's life and have to live with that. I'm gonna pray for God's grace and mercy in her life. Or if, if you see your kid and they're about to make a decision that doesn't please God, that's gonna be harmful for them, that, that you just are overwhelmed and brokenhearted and you just say, I'm gonna pray for them. I'm, I'm not gonna eat. I'm gonna dedicate my life toward praying for that person. Sometimes we, we watch people walking off the cliff of sin and we just go, oh, well, that's a bummer. Hey, everybody makes their own choices, you know. Uh, hopefully that'll turn out okay for them. Sometimes we don't fast and pray because we don't have the intense spiritual concern that we should have. And I think another reason that we don't fast is because a lot of times when we do have all these intense concerns, we just sit and worry. We just try to do something about uh, We We just feel all this anxiety. And a lot of times we're not taking these concerns and these challenges and these difficulties we're not taking them to the Lord we're not saying God you love me and you're in control and you can help and so a lot of times we don't fast because we don't see prayer for what it really is and so Jesus says hey when you give do it in secret when you pray do it in secret when you fast do it in secret because God sees and he loves you and he cares about you and he will reward you You know, what is it that allows a Christian to reject anger toward other people? What is it that allows us to walk away from lust? What is it that allows us to stay faithful in a marriage even when it's hard? What is it that allows us to always tell the truth and to be trustworthy? What is it that allows us not to take revenge on our enemies and to do good to people who persecute us? Well, it's kind of simple. There's one thing that answers the question in every single one of those. It's when your purpose, the purpose of your existence is to please God. See, if you just think about men and people, that's not going to motivate you to do any of those things. But when you genuinely love the Lord, those things are going to flow naturally in your life. And you won't be doing it for the credit you get from someone else. Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for giving us your word. God, I ask that you would help us to live for you, that we we would have a desire to please you, that we would do good things, and that, Lord, when we do good things in front of other people, it would be for your glory. It would be so that you get the credit. And, Lord, help us to be insightful. Lord, help us to avoid doing things to be noticed by others. Lord, help us to give in secret, knowing that you are everywhere, and you know everything, and you see everything. And Lord, if you're pleased, that's enough for us. In your name, amen.